Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Now, if you'll please join me in the words for lighting the chalice, they're printed in your order of service, but also projected. We light this chalice. Now I invite you to get as still in your seat as you can, to take a breath, and to listen. Let go of whatever came in with you. Find a calmness and a stillness, and just be. As this sound rings out, hear in it a call to the quiet of this season. Breathe and listen. When I was young, I participated in children's theater in my neighborhood, and the second semester of the year was spent rehearsing for the musical that we put on in the spring. But in the fall, we spent a lot of time on theater games and storytelling games and improv games. And I remember playing one in particular called Fortunately Unfortunately. Has anyone ever played this game before? Okay, so in this game, the person who begins says a sentence, nothing overly complicated, just one statement like, yesterday I went to buy milk. And then the next person in the circle has to start their sentence with the word unfortunately. So, for example, unfortunately, I forgot my wallet. The person after that has to start their sentence, fortunately. Fortunately, I ran into my friend. The next, unfortunately, and so on. So, as you can imagine, the game gets very silly very quickly. But it's great for engaging the flexibility of our minds in twists and turns that a story might have. Abrupt running off course and then back on track, or maybe finding a new track altogether. And the game can also be a subtle or not so subtle reminder of all the ways that stories and our lives can take shape unexpectedly. It can be a reminder of how things we never thought could happen do happen, How things we long for sometimes just don't. How often things beyond our control pop up in our lives. And in the game, you just keep going. You keep plugging away, fortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately. There's no obvious end to the game. Just twist and turn after twist and turn. And how we react to them, what we say next, is what matters. Long before the game came into vogue in the 80s and 90s, there was actually a children's book written in this style by Remy Charliffe. It's called Fortunately, and Jeannie is going to come up and read it to us this morning. 
So, y'all, we are in it. The hustle and bustle of the season is fully upon us. And I, for one, have found myself constantly thinking that there isn't enough time, constantly fretting about how I will manage to get everything done and ready, and I have realized how deeply and completely I value the quiet time that we share together on Sunday mornings. I know that for some of you, the silences can sometimes feel too long, and for others of you, they can feel too short. But my hope is that this time we spend together silently, lifting up the needs and cares and worries of our hearts, is time that helps to ease the busyness and worry of our lives. My hope is that the time of breathing deeply helps all of us practice so that when life comes at us fast and overwhelmingly, our bodies remember what it is to stop and to breathe and to just be. I know that each of us uses this time differently, some for meditation, others for prayer, others for quiet reflecting. Whatever, you f- whatever focus you embrace during this time, I invite you now to settle your body, to put down what you're holding, to find as comfortable a position as you can, to let stillness settle in you. Breathe deeply, slowly. Breathe all the way into your body. This morning, we come together aware of all the complications this season can bring. We think with compassion of those among us and beyond these walls whose holidays will be marked by grief or sorrow, fear or unmet longing. We share our love with those among us and beyond these walls who face challenges or illness, who struggle to make ends meet or struggle to get through each day. We offer gratitude for all the gifts we will receive this season time with loved ones, a chance to slow down, moments of reconnection, and that ever-important reminder of all that is possible as nothing stays the same. Breathe deeply. as we breathe in the silence, offering the prayers and reflections of our own hearts. We know the complexity of our human living and still we give thanks. May we remember that even in the busiest times, 
the miracle of quiet can be ours. Even in sorrow, the miracle of joy can be ours. Even in loneliness, the miracle of connection can be ours. When we persevere, when we breathe deeply, when we live with love, so may it be. So our theme this month is miracles. It fits during this season in which so many different religious traditions celebrate so many different holidays based on miracles. The miracle of the Buddha's enlightenment, the miracle of the baby Jesus' birth, the miracle of the oil lasting eight days, the miracle of the return of the light. Miracle is embedded in so many of the rituals and celebrations of this time of year, and yet it is a difficult word for many people. Often associated with prayer, miracles can feel too religious or too godly, too supernatural for some of us. For those of us who come out of a Catholic tradition, it can connote something scientifically impossible, worked by a god or a saint who is somehow more than human. It can carry implications of supernaturalness and anti-reason. The word also often in religious, but also in colloquial usage, includes implications of passivity. Miracles are something beyond our control, maybe prayed for by us, but worked on us mere mortals by these figures that are somehow more than human, either by their own nature or by their privileged relationship to the divine. For many, the word miracle implies a lack of effort or work on the part of regular people. But my mission today, and I don't always show you my hand in this way, but I'm doing it this morning. My mission today is to convince you that we need not understand miracles as passively experienced, supernatural, uncommon things. And that rather, when we redefine miracles as statistically unlikely or unexpected events that contribute to the overall good and to life, we come to see that miracles are indeed all around us, are ours to create, and suddenly we can tune into what is possible. I remember when I first heard that song, Holy Now, by Peter Mayer. From the moment I heard it, I loved it. I was doing my full-time ministerial internship at that time down in Fairfax, Virginia, and the song spoke to my own sense of wonder at the world. At that point, my oldest child was under one, and I remember that with his birth and his infancy, I had felt a different sense of the miraculous. Everything was new and scary. And getting to watch a little person grow, I remembered something of what it felt like to see everything as a miracle because you're seeing it for the first time. And I remembered, too, that the very fact of our existence is something of a miracle. When we consider what it takes for one life to come into being, the notion that there are billions of lives all across this earth becomes somewhat staggering. When we consider what it took, the statistical odds of the Big Bang and then evolution and then every conception and every birth and every survival since the dawn of existence, it's almost incomprehensible. Miraculous, we could say. It is beyond our control, beyond our capacity to really impact or understand. It's almost illogical and absurd in its sheer unlikelihood. And yet it happened. 
Things collided, energy exploded, the universe expanded, Earth came to be, and all the necessary conditions for life came about. Every time you look at another human or a creature or the plants growing, when the snow falls or the clouds gather, you can choose to understand this as miraculous. This is the first way we can begin to nuance our understanding of that word, miracle. We can strip away the need for the miraculous to be divine or holy, and we can locate the miraculous in what remains beyond our grasp of full understanding, or what remains statistically absurd. That which requires a whole mess of luck to make work. And what happens if we shift that understanding? What happens when we come to see everything as a miracle? Each flower, each bird, each life, each death, each moment. I think it would radically shift the gratitude with which we live our lives. If we could stop seeing things as our right and instead see them as miracles. It would radically shift the kindness with which we live our lives, I suspect. If we started really viewing each other person, no matter how irritating we might find them, as a miracle. And that's the call of Peter Mayer's song, right? It's to view everything as a miracle. He sings, when I was in Sunday school, we learned about the time Moses split the sea in two and Jesus made the water wine. And I remember feeling sad that miracles don't happen still, but now I can't keep track because everything's a miracle. Wine from water is not so small, but an even better magic trick is that anything is here at all. So the challenging thing becomes not to look for miracles, but finding where there isn't one. It is no small thing to come to see all that is as miraculous, to abandon notions of miracle-working magic men and instead to live all the time with a deep understanding of the holiness and magic and awesomeness and wonder of this life. I remember as an, as an undergraduate student taking a course that explored the religions of the Roman world. We had a lengthy discussion at one point about miracle workers. In the world into which Jesus was born, miracle working men were plentiful, a dime a dozen really, but they came in different forms Marianne Bonds describes in our reading this morning the emperor miracle worker whose higher status and chosenness by God help him to work miracles. <coughs> she also describes the ascetic miracle worker, the self-negating, self-depriving wanderer who heals the sick and conjures food and can see the future. In the reading, there's an assumption about what that word miracle means Something beyond the expectations of science and reason, beyond normal human capacity, aided by the divine. This type of miracle working in the Roman period, in the world and time in which Jesus lived, was really not special. There were plenty of itinerant philosophers roaming around claiming to have worked miraculous wonders. And so here was Jesus born into this world rife with men who work miracles. But we don't really know or care about a lot of those other miracle workers. Right? They haven't stuck with us, and they certainly aren't relevant to people's lives today by and large. There are lots of answers for why Jesus stuck and the rest didn't. Many of my dear friends from Divinity School would tell you that we continue to know and care about Jesus because indeed he was Christ, a miraculous gift from God who rose from the dead to save humanity. 
other friends of mine would tell you, Jesus is still with us because Paul ran an amazing PR campaign. Now, I don't know if you've noticed over the years, but when I speak about this man, I'm careful to say Jesus, not Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. It's the term given to Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as Savior, as Redeemer. My theology holds that humanity didn't need redeeming, didn't need saving in the sense of being saved from some inherited sin from past time. So when I talk about this man, and I mean man, I use his given name, Jesus. And when I speak about Jesus, I speak about the person who was born and lived, who was killed heinously, and who preached a message of goodness. The man who preached a message of everlasting love. The man who roamed and taught and loved and suffered. The man who tradition tells us worked miracles, just like all the other miracle-working men of his time. But it obviously wasn't his miracles that made him memorable, since we've forgotten all those others. How many of you had ever heard of Apollonius of Tiana? Guessing very few. So why do we remember him? My answer, my answer, you will have your own, I'm sure. My answer is that Jesus is still with us, not because of his miracles, but because of his message. It was and is relevant. His 2,000 years of fame has nothing to do with water into wine or feeding thousands with a few fishes, although those are wonderful notions. He's with us because of the everyday things that he preached. He's relevant because here was this man who was born into a time of oppression and difficulty, poverty, and religious divisiveness, and he came and he preached, for the most part, a message of love. And that, his life and his message, were themselves the miracle. Because let's be honest, the world into which Jesus was born and the one he died in looked pretty much the same. He didn't arrive on the scene and fix all of the world's problems. Those problems of poverty and religious divisiveness and oppression and difficulty are still with us today, despite 2,000 years of his message and example. Jesus is relevant and remembered not because he solved everything magically for us, not because he miraculously changed anything about how we live, but because he offered a new way of living in the world, a lesson about love, It's a legacy that encourages us to see and to make everyday miracles of welcoming kindness and generosity for each other. We Unitarian Universalists embrace that message of love. It's part of what defines us and coheres us. It's in that message that Jesus stays for us special, a wondrous if not utterly unique figure in history. He cried out for love and kindness, patience, goodness, charity, selflessness, and strength, sacrifice and integrity. That message, as I understand it, incarnated in our tradition today, can help to cure us of our wariness of miracles. Because this is another way that we can rethink this word. We can choose to define it as something unexpected, something transcendent, something more than we dared even dream of, but not something beyond human capacity, not something external to humanity not unlike Jesus' message of love in a time of anger and fear. It was unexpected and transcendent, but very human. So we can choose to define a miracle as something that happens right here among us regular humans, when we live, love, and go above and beyond for each other. It's actually there in Bonds' definition. She writes, 
What all of these stories of wonder workers have in common is that, in contrast to magic, which is performed by charlatans for personal profit, miracles are performed by exceptional human beings in the service of a god for the good of other people. And I invite you to focus on that definition in a way that makes sense to you, in service of a god for the good of other people, or simply for the good of other people. What if we understood miracles in that way? as exceptional humans doing good for each other? And what if we understood that our Unitarian Universalist belief in humans as filled with great capacity for good actually creates an imperative to be exceptional in exactly this way? Maybe miracles need have nothing to do with the divine or the supernatural, and really, miracles are all about the ways we humans go beyond what is necessary and into what is loving and helpful for each other. When we rethink miracles in this way, all of a sudden, we are all called to be miracle workers in our own lives and for each other. And we can work miracles by offering radical kindness and welcome to ourselves and to others. There's that story in the scriptures when Jesus welcomes the prostitute and lets her wash his feet despite the protestations of his moralizing compatriots. And that act of welcome and intimacy isn't lumped into Jesus' miracle working. That doesn't get counted as a miracle. But maybe it was one. Because that's the kind of moment that can actually change a life. And those kinds of moments happen between us humans each and every day. Understanding miracles this way as emanating from a miracle-working, exceptional human being that acts for the good of other people gives us room to expand our notion of miracles beyond the supernatural and into the completely human. And that definition liberates each of us to make miracles for the greater good. Because each of us is an exceptional human being that has the ability to do something above and beyond our normal lives, beyond what is expected, to do something unlikely, however small, to do something miraculous in the service of love for the good of other people. And not only do we have this ability, but it's part of what Unitarian Universalism calls us to do. We don't wait around for miracles. We become the change that we dream about. We don't expect others to fix us or the world. We agree to work together to do that. We agree to work together with patience and kindness and support and love. We commit to working in this world in the service of love for the good of other people, aware that each of us will always be human, offering what we can, sometimes able to give more, sometimes needing more. Miracles aren't passive things that we pray for and await. They are things that we make, things we create. I often say in here that hope isn't a passive thing. It's active, seeking after its own reality. And miracles are similar. We make them with and for and among each other. They are everywhere in the natural world around us, as Mayer points out, but they are also everywhere in the world of human relationships, as long as we humans keep answering the call to love and care for each other in exceptional ways. And of course, what becomes hard, then, is the business of remaining open to miracles that sometimes masquerade as something else. That game of fortunately, unfortunately, and that story we read earlier, always remind me of this Zen story 
There are many versions out there, and the one that I'm going to share with you comes from the Buddha Groove blog. It goes like this. There lived an old farmer who had worked in his fields for many, many years. One day, his horse bolted away. His neighbors dropped in to commiserate with him. What awful luck, they tut-tutted sympathetically, to which the farmer only replied, we'll see. Next morning, to everyone's surprise, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How amazing is that, they exclaimed in excitement. The old man replied, we'll see. A day later, the farmer's son tried to mount one of the wild horses. He was thrown to the ground and broke his leg. Once more, the neighbors came by to express their sympathies for this stroke of bad luck. We'll see, said the farmer politely. The next day, the village had some visitors, military officers who had come with the purpose of drafting young men into the army. They passed over the farmer's son, thanks to his broken leg. The neighbors patted the farmer on his back. How lucky he was to not have his son join the army. We'll see, was all that the farmer said. So the idea in the story, of course, is that some things that we might view as fortunate may end poorly, or things that we might view as unfortunate might have ultimately good endings. Last Sunday, we talked about patience, and that plays in here. There is a value in being patient before rushing to react or to interpret. But there's another message here which says sometimes miracles happen that we don't even realize are happening. And remaining open is important. If we aren't open, we can miss amazing opportunities in our lives. Sometimes life takes a turn that we don't anticipate and we can view it as a stopping block or we can shut down the possibility it presents because maybe it asks more than we want to give. But if we remain open to the idea that perhaps this unexpected opportunity or person or offer is a a miracle in disguise, then the possibilities of our lives open up. What would happen if we didn't automatically assume that the horse running away was a disaster? What would happen if we recognized the potential miracle alive in every small gesture? What would our lives be like if we realized that the likelihood of our paths crossing with This person or that are so low that our very meeting at all was a miracle and worth risking caring for others. If we came to view the world in this light, with the possibility that everything might be a miracle, we would have more patience for what might come. We would be more open to others and to life. And we would pay more attention to all the different ways things connect to each other. We would live more deeply into the interconnections of all life, of the human family, and of course, of our own lives. This is the month of miracles, a month of unexpected events changing the course of the world. If we can come to view the very fact of our lives as a miracle, if we can come to understand that we are each miracle workers, and if we can remain open to the truth that the turns our lives take all contain within them the possibility of a miracle. Then we might come to live with more love, more care, more thoughtfulness and openness. Then we might come to live with an acute awareness of the magic and wonder of life itself and the way everything is related. Then we might come to live with a deepening gratitude, a growing abundance, and a widening vision then we might come to live with depth and fullness, honesty and hope. 
That's the wish of this season of miracles. May it be so. As we draw to a close this morning, I offer you these words by Henri Nguyen. A waiting person is a patient person. The word patience implies the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Patient living means to actively to live actively in the present and wait there. Impatient people expect the real thing to happen somewhere else, and therefore they want to get away from the present situation and go elsewhere. For them, the moment is empty, but the patient people dare to stay where they are. Waiting, then, is not passive. It involves nurturing the growth of something growing within. Miraculous living is like patient living. It attends to the hidden things that might come to be. It lives here and now, aware that all around are miracles worth seeing, and it is an active kind of living. May this season invite you into living miraculously. We extinguish this flame. burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. I offer you benediction words adapted from Peter Mayer. May this life never be for you half there, and may you always walk with a reverent air, knowing deeply that everything is holy, that miracles abound and surround us, and that you too are a miracle. Go in peace.